Welcome to the Fader interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, editorial director of the Fader. Bartiz Strange has leaned so heavily into his idiosyncrasies that calling his music genreless is sort of a cliche. The Ipswich-born, Oklahoma-raised artist's debut EP, Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy, reimagined five songs by The National, turning them into soaring, stirring, brand new things, so arresting that Aaron and Bryce Desner put it out on their own label. His debut album, Live Forever, released in the fall of 2020, capitalized on that success emphatically, collapsing indie, hip-hop, emo, and R&B into each other with such gleeful abandon that the critics who heaped praise on it seem to have been caught genuinely off guard. His new album, Farm to Table, belongs in the same universe as its predecessor. The uniquely braggadocious Cosigns is, for example, a callback to Live Forever's Moss Blood. But he's still taking risks. Often that involves pulling back, as he does on the gorgeous acoustic track tours, or even the mellow arena country of Escape the Circus's first two thirds. But what really lingers is the creative ambition of his lyrics, the leaps from imperiousness to gratitude and guilt, the meditations on his past and excitement for his future, the commentary on the industry he's learning to navigate, and the social injustices that often seem impossible to circumvent. No idea, musical or lyrical, is off limits for Barty Strange. What's remarkable is how fully he realizes those ideas when they cross his mind. Earlier this week, a couple months on from our first conversation for the Fader interview live on AMP, I called Barty's at his home in Washington, DC to talk about his creative restlessness, the inevitable costs of his sudden success, and the next album he's already almost finished. Bartiz, how are you? I'm good. Just hanging out, trying to take it easy today. I've got a long flight tomorrow, so just making sure I have everything packed. <laughs> Where are you off to? I'm flying to LA for a couple shows and to see some friends and kind of tap in before we go to Europe in July. Last time we spoke was seven or eight weeks, eight or nine weeks ago, actually. Um, yeah. You just released Cosigns. You just announced the album. You were very excited. You just launched a new project. You had a whole cycle in front of you. Uh, plus, you just released this like really this hyper confident song. Now the album's out in a couple of days. You've done a load of press. You've revealed much more of the album. You've been in the weeds of the release. You're like having to sort out flights and you're having to travel a bit. How different do you feel now than you th- than you think you did maybe eight or nine weeks ago? I mean, I'm excited, but I'm nervous as hell. You know, I'm just like, oh my god let this album come out already so I can sleep again. <laughs> but but it, it feels cool, you know? It's, like, very different than the first time I put out an album, and it's so different just kind of watching how things have changed. Like, last album I put it out, and I was like, oh, who knows? Like, let's see where it goes. And now it's, like, all this press and all these lead-up things, and I'm like, you know at the core of myself, I'm still just like, yeah, I just, you know, I'm proud of the music. I'm proud that we finished another good album and I'm excited about it and excited to make another album. <laughs> I'm already kind of like, cool, let's do it again. Let's let's make another one now, you know? So, yeah. That's great because that goes against the grain of the, the fear of the sophomore slump because obviously you had so much critical acclaim around your debut. Do you feel added pressure on the, sec- the second time around knowing that, People are going to be watching whatever happens. 
Yeah, I mean, I have some added pressure, but I'm also kind of confident in what I do. You know, I'm going to do what I do, period. And I've never really been good at, like, chasing the wave, like, doing what I think people are going to like or anything. Like, that's that's not how I got here in the first place, you know? So I, I feel like even with all the added stuff and the label and, every, you know, people knowing who I am, to me, it's still like, I just want to make stuff that I like and that I'm going to have fun playing every night. And I feel like with this album, like, I did that. So I, I'm, I'm excited. I like this record. The four singles for, for this record, it's quite an interesting cross-section. There are four songs here that I think none of them are exactly traceable onto each other. I, I think particularly... You today you, you released Wretched a, a few hours ago. I think in some sense that's maybe the sort of the flip side of cosigns, right? You've got this sort of hyper-confident song where you're very proud of what you're doing. Then there's this other side of not regret, but definitely gratitude to the people around you. Was it important to introduce that like in advance of the record that you want? Was that part of the, the decision behind that? Yeah. I mean, for one, you know, Making Wretched was just like a, of all the songs, you know, that song was one that I'd wanted to write for a long time and I'd kind of stared at it for a long time. I think I demoed that song for the first time probably three years ago, just like laying out the arrangement, but I could never really figure out what I wanted it to be about. And then, you know, last year as I was writing this record, I kept coming back to this point of like gratitude and like, you know, as I was thinking of Live Forever and how I've moved on to Farm to Table, I can't help but think about all of these key people that really just like, showed up and were supportive or would help me get things done um, when they didn't have to. And at points when I felt wretched, like when I felt like no one was going to help me or help me figure this out. And so I felt like it was an important vibe to wire into the album, which is mainly about this transition I'm going through in my life. Well, tell me about that transition. Transition from, from what to what exactly? Well, I mean, when I first started, you know, making music, you know, in my teenage years, of course, I wanted to be like Tunde at Abimpe or like Kele from Block Party, you know, like I would see those guys and I'd be like, whoa, that's that's me. And then I'd get older and, you know, you get jobs and you're like, ah, maybe that's not me. Maybe I need to get a job. <laughs> and so my 20s, you know, I interned and worked, you know, my whole adult life until I became really unfulfilled with it. And started writing more and joining bands again and it's kicked off this like seven year journey of just playing in bands and making stuff and until i wrote live forever and, and then when that album came out i was able to kind of quit my job and focus on this thing that i thought was just like impossible you know and so all that happening especially during like a pandemic when there wasn't a lot of movement happening in my life otherwise it was just a really cool opportunity to reflect on my life and my journey and kind of what now my options are with music. And this record is kind of about that. It's like, 
farm to table, you know, rags to riches, going from a place where nobody knows who you are to kind of being at a table with people that you've looked up to forever and then feeling like, okay, like, how do I do this? <laughs> and that's that's the record. <laughs> In some sense, it's about transitioning into being the thing that you dreamed of being 10 years ago. Yeah. And Wretched is the song kind of saying thanks to the people who kind of like reminded me like, hey, like, don't forget about your music. You know, that's kind of for them. There's a flip side to that as well. And I think this comes up more clearly on Heavy Heart. There's a cost to all of this. So nice in a cherry scar. We should go to Toronto more often. I never It's not so much realizing that you're living your dream. I get, the, I get the sense on this record that you also realize you're doing exactly the thing that is right for you. Even in spite of that, and even in spite of your sort of compulsion to keep creating and keep writing and keep performing, there's sort of a human cost to that. You keep talking about in that song about Toronto and about spending more time there because your partner's from there. and This inability to sort of be around people while they're having kids or getting married. On a bittersweet scale, how much of that is bitter and how much is sweet? Some days it's more bitter and some days it's more sweet, you know? It's something I'm working through in real life, like right now, you know? But I also know, like, that's kind of just what life is. In my quest to have everything, I often realize I can't have everything. <laughs> and I feel like songs like Heavy Heart, Wretched, Cosigns, you know, Black Gold, it's all just me kind of like, you know, coming to grips with that. And being like, you know, but that's okay. Because I still feel like the thing I'm doing right now makes me feel like I'm most alive. Like I'm serving my purpose. And, you know, I'm going to figure out how to hold the relationships. And I'm going to figure out how to be there for the people I care about. But I have to be a little more intentional with that now. You know, like time is this thing that, you know, I look at it a different way than I used to a few years ago. I'm a lot more intentional with how I use it and how I spend it. And I feel like <laughs> making this record was a testament to that even, you know, with everything going on and just being like, I need, I want to make this record, you know, this is important. All these other things are happening, but I got to do this. And this record is oh, largely, it has a lot of themes that kind of touch on that too. Just like you were saying, like all the good things that happen, like, you know, nothing's free. Like everything costs something. I'm fine with paying what I'm paying right now. You know, I think it's fine. When we last spoke, you said something about that you were, had effectively always been a little dissatisfied, but in a good way. That sort of discomfort kept pushing you to do more things. It, it pushed you to, to quit your job as a spokesperson, like, and, and to make Live Forever, to keep going and to keep pushing. And that that had served you well. That sort of stuck with me for the last eight weeks. I keep thinking about that. It seems like a really good way of living. I wonder how you sort of got to the point where you had accepted that about yourself, where you had accepted that you were the kind of person who was always going to be a little bit, not uncomfortable, but yeah, dissatisfied in a, in a positive way and how you, how you can figure out how to embrace that and sort of channel that into something good. That's a long, arduous process, no? 
Yeah. And it's also like, there was a point in my life when it wasn't like a healthy thing, you know, like you can't just move through life being like dissatisfied with everything, you know? And I feel like you got to eventually hit a point where you can hold something in both hands. You know, you can be like, this was good, but I want more, but I'm grateful for this. Like, this is great. You know, like I love this, but there is something else I want still, you know, at first I, I used to feel really guilty for feeling that being like, why am I the only one that wants to leave home? Everyone else seems to be happy staying here. I wish I could be happy. Or why do I feel like this job isn't enough? Everyone else is telling me this is the best job ever and I should never leave, you know? But I feel like there's something else. And I, I, I think that's okay for me. Um, I've always believed that like life is beautiful when you have all these chapters, you know? And I kind of kind of count my dissatisfaction with things to just my heart telling me to move on to the next chapter, you know? Um, and that's, you know, how I'm living so far. It's it's fine for now. <laughs> we'll see if it changes again. <laughs> how does that work for you in the studio? Because obviously the, the conversation that you have to have three or four times a day with guys like me is about how your music is genreless and how you're collapsing lots of sounds into each other. But that does prob- that does surely speak to a sense of you hearing an idea or hearing a thought and then going, all right, how can we push this further? Like feeling that restlessness and that dissatisfaction. When I'm in the studio, I'm a vibe chaser, like to the max. I don't really read music or anything like that. I'm just like, let's go where the song is taking us, you know? And for me, I just go with my gut. I feel like with songs like Wretched and Cosines and some of these like bigger songs on the record, it was all just being like, what is the vibe? Like, is this vibe going to be like the life of Pablo, Kanye, blown out vocals thing? Okay, well, let's go all the way there. Hold nothing back. Make the reference as clear as possible. You know, with like Black Gold, you know, I'm like, cool, is this going to be like a 22 a million kind of big red machine drum thing with the distorted vocal? Cool, like, let's go all the way, you know? So people that like that stuff will hear this and make that connection. And that's kind of how I am in the studio. It's like, once I like smell the vibe, I'm like, cool, let's like bake the cake. Like, let's go all the way, you know? And there's nothing that I won't try, you know? I'm like, cool, like, let's try everything and, and we'll pick what, we, what, what serves the song the most. Even though I guess I'm being described as like a restless person, in the studio, I feel like the most clear and the most like s- slow and like deliberate, you know, I don't feel shaky and like, oh, how do I one up myself? How do I make this genreless? It's none of that. It's just like, what does the song want to do? Let's do that. There is a confidence to this record that is expressed like not only through the assuredness of the music, but also lyrically. You are often straight up saying like, 
I'm here because I'm really fucking good at this. How does that play out in the writing process and in the studio? Like, I would wonder with a lot of artists, like, if you worry that at, at times that might sort of trip you up into really trying to show that you can do certain things and that anybody who doubts you is wrong. I kind of just do what I feel works. I taught myself how to do all this stuff in my room, just like watching YouTube videos and learning about compression and learning about saturation and how to use all this stuff and realizing that, oh, the people I look up to, this is how they're getting these sounds, right? I think like just along the way, all these people I emulated as a kid, I just kind of like grew into pieces of all of them. You know, like I feel all of those influences in the music I write. And so when I'm writing like a rock song, my references, they just, they come through hella clear. You know, it's like, obviously I like the national and TV on the radio and block party. And you can hear that all over heavy heart. <laughs> it's just like, boom, like that's what it is, you know? And so when I'm in the studio and I'm like writing and I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm confident because it's like, I've been doing this stuff for so long, dog, like forever. And I'm not just like singing in the booth, like I'm running the session and I have all the stems and I have the gear and I know how to use it. So it's like, I can sell houses real good because I know where the wood is and I know how to build the house and I know what the window shades should be and I know how long the driveway should be. I've measured it a million times. <laughs> like That's how I feel about music and the things that I make. It's like, I'm confident because I've done the 10,000 hours. So, you know, when I make a record like this, after Live Forever, I had a lot of people who were like, go to the second record. Like, are you scared? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not scared at all. Like, and if it sucks, I'll just make another record. You've also said in interviews recently, you were talking about like opera and how the, the people who were regarded most highly in opera are sort of people who can copy the best and that you found that was sort of anathema to you. It was all about like originality. Like if you understand the entire process from the ground up, if you understand how to build that house, then when you're showing somebody around it and you're trying to sell it, it's because you know exactly, you know that these windows were like the best quality windows that you could possibly have installed. Yeah, and if they're not, I can tell you where the good ones are. You know, and that's how I felt with Live Forever. After Live Forever, I was like, oh, I want to get better at this. You know, like I, that was the only thing I thought. I was like, there are some things I want to do, but I can't make it sound as good as I want. How do I make it sound better? It kicked off this like, the last three years just like producing records right and like practicing things through other people's albums and then bringing them back to my record and being like okay like i know how to make this sound a different way now like let me like try this again you know but yeah man like at the end of the day i'm kind of just like i'll just make another record like i'll just i'll just make more songs it's it's just chill. it's fun to me <laughs> at this point you know we don't talk anymore
that complete understanding of that process from the ground up, how does that compare with playing live, which obviously like you have been able to do a certain amount of since, I mean, I know that you were in a lot of bands before being parties, but like, like playing under your own name, but playing under your own name now, like it is a different setup. There is a lot of, there's a lot of different moving parts. You must be learning that a little bit more on the fly. And we talked a little bit about like you going out on tour with like car seat headrest and stuff and seeing how other people do it and like borrowing bits and pieces from them. How does that compare for you? Live is a new thing for me. I mean, it's kind of fun writing the record and then in the studio being like, how am I going to do this live? I didn't know how I was going to do Wretched and Cosigns live. Since they've been written, like now I figured it out and I'm like, oh shit, like I know how to do this now. Like I can like music direct this now. Like I know how the music should be. I know all the samples. I know like how everything gets triggered. I know just like how I've gotten so into recording and writing songs, I feel myself getting into the live production of the music. Because something that I think is important is like, yeah, like you hear a Barty Strange record and it's like a lot of sound, it's a lot of sounds, right? Like hip hop stuff, house stuff, big rock songs, very chill, acoustic shit, whatever. I feel like the best way to make those records land is like live to really perform all of those things in all of their glory and transitions. So like Wretched should feel like a radio banger live with a band, like how do I do that and then slide into Hennessy? Like, I feel like if I can figure things like that out, then it's gonna make the live thing just be crazy because every people are just gonna expect me to press a button and just run the song, but I'm gonna show them that it's way deeper than that. And and I think that's so beautiful. And that's something I've always wanted to do with music is kind of show how it's all so connected and how at the end of it, it's like people behind all of it. Now that I've figured that out, I'm like, cool, I can't wait to play this record live and for people to see how it looks, like how it look, how it really looks, how the gear looks, what the guitar players are doing. The choreography of the album live is something that's really exciting to me and I was excited to create it. That element of what is difficult in the studio is part of what you're bringing, the process, the, the thing that's actually the hardest part of, of working in the studio is what you're trying to bring to the live set. Yeah. You've probably gathered this, but that's my favorite part of music. It's like the process and like making the song and, you know, getting very deep. And uh, yes, that's that's how the live situation comes together. It's by me and Chris and Graham and Dan and my band, TK, going super deep in the music and just and making it real. Dijon, who who made that amazing record last year, this is like a big part of his process, was like bringing people into the process as like the audience into the process as meta commentary maybe sounds a little bit like over the top, but like the, the music is sort of about making the music. I can obviously see parallels there sort of with TV on the radio, but was that something that you enjoyed growing up listening to music, whether it was like hip hop and R&B and, or, or, or rock like whatever it was, was that sort of what dragged you in as well? TV on the radio, yes. But In Rainbows, the album by Radiohead, that was the album, honestly, that changed how I saw live performances. I remember hearing the drum loops and just being like, oh, what drum machine is that? And trying to figure it out for like a cool, like a cool year, two years, I'm just like, how are they doing these rhythms, right? And then I remember seeing them live and realizing like Philip Selway is playing those drums on a, on a drum pad and it sounds like a computer, but he's playing it. And that shit 
messed me up because <laughs> I and then watching like the guitar players interact with like modular rigs and then back to the guitar then on a piano and then they're playing a little percussion Phillips always playing a drum pad but he's using his kick on the actual kick drum Tom York is playing bass but he's a guitar player but his bass playing is like murdering you know it's like all these little things that on the record you're just like oh nice song but the when you see it happen in front of you it's just like watching a magic show and i was just in love with that and it was something else i i loved about the national when i first saw them live and how they translated the music on their records to the live performance and you see the choreography of the song and it's just like it, it brings even more depth because you see how much work these people are doing to make it sound so perfect and so thoughtful and uh creates like just a crazy listening experience they could have just pressed play on a backing track you know it would have been fine they could have saved money on three people you know but they were like no let's like do it the right way and i think there's something to that you know so that's why i do it the way that i do it mm -hmm. is there also something about the chance that it might fail like there's more danger there is that exciting to you Yes, you have to keep it fun. <laughs> and I, oh my God, luckily we haven't had like a big live like fuck up yet, but it'll happen. You know, like there's going to come a day where I'm going to look at Graham and he's going to be like, the MIDI's not working. And I'm going to be like, hey, we're, we're doing it live. Let's go. You know, like what can you do? But that's what live music is. That's the whole thing, you know? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. The, the, and that kind of makes it fun for us because on stage it's like lit when we pull it off and we look at each other and we're like, nobody knows how close that was to a train wreck. It's beautiful. <laughs> you said you were you were starting to think about, about new music again. Have you actually started writing? Yeah, it's almost done. Wow. When did you start? While I was working on this. Wow. How much overlap? will there be when I interview you later and I'm like, when did you start writing this? How, what's the overlap like? They're related. Farm to Table is an excellent foundation for what happens next. I'm really excited about this whole little world of albums. These three albums will be. So you think they're all going to, th all three are going to be interlinked? All of it's interlinked to me. I mean, <laughs> but yes, there's some del very deliberate connections between the next few the next few damn you really are looking forward just a long way huh dog that's why i'm so excited about this one because i'm like i know what happens next <laughs> wow i mean are we talking about like connections well i mean this is obviously just the simplest way of looking at it but the, the relationship between like cosines of moss blood from live forever like are these the sort of almost literal links in the chain. I mean, those are examples, but as it goes forward, it gets tighter. Like the relationships between songs become even more tight, but I'm still finishing that. We'll talk about that soon. I Everyone at the label is begging me not, they're just like, stop talking, but don't talk about the next one. <laughs> just talk about this. <laughs> Part of what makes this arc so fascinating is that, I mean, Farm to Table is a product of a time when you release an album that you never suspected would be released while we were all locked indoors and everybody falls in love with it. I mean, in many ways, the forever is, is 
really not an album for people who are locked indoors. It seems like an album that would have made a lot of sense if it would have been shared at parties and in live venues. But instead, everybody attaches themselves to it while alone. And then you write this second album while dealing with the, these pressures and strictures of, of fame and acclaim completely indoors. And then the third one sounds like it could be from a very similar place as well. We're still just sort of re-emerging from all of that. The, this is all going to be from from that sort of Petri dish. Well, I don't know. Because the thing about Live Forever, it came out at a time when everyone was indoors. But it was written at a time when everything was normal. That record was written about a year and a half before the pandemic. I could never find a label to put the record out. So I just sat on it and sat on it and sat on it. This record was made after my first time touring the entire country. <laughs> you know, like I just toured with Phoebe Bridgers and Lucy Dacus. And I was just like, what the fuck? Last time I made a record, I took like seven days off work and went to a cabin in Wasaic, New York with my friends. And we just brought our gear and tracked some music, you know? And now I'm like at a 4AD studio in London and the engineer is paid for and I can just like do whatever I want. This is crazy, you know? So it's like you're processing it from one end, but I'm processing it from a completely other like viewpoint, you know? <laughs> Like none of these, like they're, they're kind of like pandemic weird records, but in my mind, it's like the pandemic is like a side to all these other crazy things that are happening. And like the next record, I've kind of put some time on it just because I want, I want some time to pass. Like I want to like kind of get through this record and experience some shit before I like really stamp finish it. But the next record is similar in some ways, but in a lot of ways, it's an exploration all on its own, you know. I've kind of fallen in love with a few things. I can't really go too deep into it, but they've been just swimming around in my head for the last year or so. When I finished Farm to Table, a part of me really wanted to combine them, but Farm to Table just, it spun left, and the other one spun right, and I was like, okay, these are two different worlds. I'm going to finish this one, and it'll set up this next one. I think that's what I was driving at. You saying you want to go away and experience some stuff before you go in and and do the next one. Do you have to engineer that sort of type? Like, you know you know what the themes are you're dealing with. And this is kind of the same with Farm to Tape as well. Like, you know the themes you want to deal with. So then do you have to go away and every time you're experiencing, like every time you're living, are you thinking, all right, this is refining the idea I had in my head for my next LP? I don't know. I mean, I think like, in all creation, time is the most important factor. When I look at my records, especially the things I want to do next, some of those things I don't know how to do. I don't know how to explain. And I feel like the only way I will learn them is with time. Time that's going to be granted to me largely because of this album. I take that very seriously. I also never stop writing. <laughs> I love writing music. I love producing records. I love just fiddling around with stuff, buying gear and seeing what comes out. And seeing what it inspires me to do before I like really finalize things like I do and I do I, I build that time in and I'm like you know this next couple years I'm just gonna like tour this record and I'll produce two or three albums but on my shit I'm gonna let that kind of just sit for a little while then I'm really glad that I've built all the frames and I have these themes and I can play these songs without vocals and just listen and listen and listen and tweak and tweak and tweak and then when it's the right time I'll I'll go in and I'll just crush it. Even how I write records, like I record like a loop or a vocal phrase and I just pick a date 
like six months in the future to come back to it. I let everything sit. I think a lot of people think that I'm writing really fast, but a lot of the things that are coming out are things that some things I started a long time ago, you know, I just was good enough to finish them now because of time. And it seems like as poignant a place as any to end parties. <laughs> cool. I know you got to run at 3.20, so I, but I really appreciate you making time. But this is, uh, I don't often get a chance to interview somebody twice around an album, so I really appreciate you making time for us. Of course, dog. Time, you know, time, time, time. Good luck traveling. Good luck with the shows. Uh, congratulations on Farm to Table. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Really appreciate y'all. That was Barty's Strange in Conversation with The Fader. Barty Strange's new album, Farm to Table, is out tomorrow, June 17, via 4AD. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfand. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. If you like listening to The Fader, good news. We're now on the new live radio app, AMP. You can download it from the App Store and check out our shows with the access code FADERONAMP. That's all one word. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.